electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer, and this is Squawk Pod. Fresh off the Juneteenth holiday, we're looking at corporate America's commitments to parity. Gail King, chair of the Executive Leadership Council. It's been incremental improvement, but if you think about in the last three years since the murder of George Floyd, that it has been a little bit on uh, at an accelerated pace. A possible reset between the U.S. and China and the Fed and the markets not quite in sync. It's tough to be bullish and then you're wrong when the market sells off. But when you're bearish and the market just keeps going, it's almost like a fever that just won't break. Plus, 2024 presidential hopeful Chris Christie. He's speaking out on former President Trump, who is leading in the polls for the Republican nomination. The voters in the United States are going to listen to this, show, and they're going to say, no, not this time. We've seen this show. We don't want to rerun. It's Tuesday, June 20th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. Yeah, the U.S. market's back in action after being closed on Monday for the Juneteenth holiday. This week is a pretty tame week compared to last week, just in terms of the data, what we're going to be watching. Last week was the biggie. You had the Fed decision. You had CPI. You had PPI. We are coming off a very strong week for the markets. Despite slipping on Friday, the S&P added 2.6% last week for its best weekly performance since March. I think, yeah, there it is, 4,409 is where it closed. The index also had its fifth positive week in a row. If you're talking about the NASDAQ, it was up even more last week. It was a gain of 3%, and that was the eighth week of consecutive gains. That hasn't happened since 2019. Treasury yields this morning, checking in on things uh, after all the Fed action last week. You'll see the 10-year right now sitting just below 3.8%, and the two-year is at 4.7 and change. The bond market started believing the Fed a little bit more in terms of yields, but now you just throw in the stock market does not believe the Fed. The no. stock market at this point... Well, either that or they think that they're, yeah, they think they're done or at least almost done. Or despite their best efforts to, to cause a slowdown or to cause higher unemployment... It's not working, and that might that would be a good thing. For, or, most, for, for most stock markets, a good economy is a good thing. Or you're talking about two stories here. One is the stock market that's listening to the Fed, and that's about 493 of the S&P 500. There's actually more stocks that are down than are up, but you've got some that are really boosted by AI in particular. So it's the Fed versus AI. Under the surface of 4409, it, it yeah, is. there's a lot there's of turmoil. no doubt. But 4409 is still, is still where it is, and... Um, We'll see whether people ratchet up their, you know, there's one thing to talk about revisiting the October lows. There's another thing to talk about, hey, you know, we're do, anytime we could have a 10% correction, but a 10% correction doesn't bring us anywhere near the October lows. So no, these people got to ratchet up there. But, you know, we don't want to disparage technical analysis, but we said this before. It's just said, yeah, um, you know, maybe we will change to more bullish and the market's got another 5%. So we missed 20%. But maybe we'll, the trend will finally say, we'll finally recognize a trend and say, okay, we're in now. 
So you get 5% of the 25? Just that, look at that, that chart, though, again. Look, talk about melting up. Look at yeah. the, the one-year chart. Some people, they, maybe Amy Whoop Silverman said it was set up maybe for a melt-up. Uh, it was a very... It looks like it. It was a very rare call, and as usual, uh, the majority of people just, you know, holding out for those lows. That's why, you know, it's tough to be bullish and then you're wrong when the market sells off. But when you're bearish and the market just keeps going, it's almost like a fever that just won't break. And, you know, they keep coming on the show and we keep asking them and they're like, no, I still say words. And, you know, it, and then finally, it's just horrible. They have to throw in the towel. Maybe not. Or though. the market reverts. Good afternoon. Both the United States and China have an obligation to manage this relationship responsibly. Secretary of State Antony Blinken uh, wraps up uh, two days of high-level meetings with Chinese officials, including President Xi. I'd like, Eunice, if I hadn't already sort of been changing my viewpoint a little on, on um, and we talked last week, you know, I'm uncomfortable with the total decoupling because it's just so important to, to, to everyone. Uh, you know, and the Chinese people are different than the CCP. And it looks like maybe the Biden administration has that viewpoint, even as things, weird things, uh, unsettling things are happening in Cuba. And I don't know, the president made some, some strange comments about the balloon, that it was more of a mistake than, than uh, I don't think, you know. Looks like there's some thawing. It looks like, uh, gosh, it's a beautiful thing. We're getting along. Well, it, it looks like it, at least temporarily. Uh, Secretary Blinken's trip uh, paves the way for more senior U.S. officials to come here. He said in, in what he described as the coming weeks, um, as you said, he had two days of meetings with Chinese officials. And really the highlight is, as you suggested, uh, President Xi Jinping's meeting with Secretary Blinken. This was a 35-minute sit-down, one-on-one. It was a bit of a surprise in last minute. Uh, but both sides have said that they recognized that uh, there was uh, a need for some stability to be injected into this relationship. Uh, Secretary Blinken had described it as a, a point of instability that this relationship had fallen to. So uh, the foreign ministry has been quoting President Xi as saying that there was some progress made on specific issues. There weren't a whole lot of details on what those specific issues were, uh, but the foreign ministry today had said that China is willing to, uh, for example, work with the U.S. on increasing flights. So something that would um, obviously benefit their uh, business environment as well as uh, the economy. Now, in terms of those uh, visits, uh, Secretary Blinken uh, didn't elaborate on who might be coming, but we do know that China has said that it welcomed and was open to uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen or, and or uh, Commerce Secretary Raimondo to come here, both again, uh, who could help um, on the economy. Uh, but in terms of the military exchanges, Secretary Blinken had said that he repeatedly uh, brought this up during this trip, as he has in the past, that the military-to-military -military exchanges are really important and that they should be able to speak face-to-face. -face. He said that China uh, wasn't interested in that level of discussion. And in fact, afterwards, the foreign ministry, uh, through one of their officials, told reporters that, um, that it's really the U.S.'s fault that this situation on the military front has fallen so far, that the U.S. Um, that the U.S. Uh, sanctions are the, um, the stumbling block right now between those talks uh, between the Pentagon as well as the, the defense minister here. Cuba must be a, an attractive place for, for missiles back in the Cold War. <laughs> and uh, it's too close to us. Why, aren't there other places? 
you know, how, why aren't we talking about this? The, the oh, White House, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, the no, White the, House um, declined. The, to, <laughs> the White House declined to comment. How do you? Blinken comes back. This is happening, and the White House declined to comment. This isn't pertinent, relevant. Well. Uh, maybe. I mean, uh, from the, the Blinken's perspective, he didn't comment on that. He uh, did talk about the, the, the alleged spy balloon, saying that that situation has kind of been done and dusted or it should be over. We should be moving past this. Um, in terms of the Chinese perspective, um, you probably won't be surprised that there wasn't a whole lot of coverage of that. The only thing good about Cuba for a joint military training is that it's 100 miles from Florida. That's, I mean, that would be the only reason. There's a lot of places in the world for a joint training facility. Uh, for China, so I don't, you know, that's that's unsettling, is it not? Yes, Cuban Bay. You can you can take a, you can take a, a remodeled '56 Ford, and sail it from Cuba to, to Florida, not and easy. people have tried. But yes, they, they have, have tried. tried. Yes, doesn't hold a lot of people. Yeah. But um, so it's not very far I think from. It's like 90 miles. It's not even 100. Yeah, it's not even 100 miles. Yeah. Meanwhile. Um, Coast Guard uh, is searching for that submersible. It's not a submarine, it's called a submersible that went missing on a dive to see the Titanic wreck. The 21-foot submersible and its five-person crew lost contact with Canadian research vessel Polar Prince at about an hour and 45 minutes into the dive. The submersible is named Titan. It's part of the Ocean Gate Expeditions Tour. The company charters private trips to explore the wreckage. $250,000, I think. Uh, one of the missing, billionaire Hamish Harding, who is uh, owner and chairman of Action uh, Aviation. It, um, it's 13,000 feet. Yeah, Actually, they talk about how many meters they were down, and I don't know how far down you actually would get in an hour and 45 minutes, but uh, it's 13,000 feet deep, and it was designed to, you know, 96 hours of air. Yes. Is there? Still within that time frame, there's two members of a prominent Pakistani business family that are missing as well. Uh, the family has put out a note just saying that they are basically praying. The, the remote area, rescuers are saying they're, they're they're working as quickly as they can because they have, as we said, 96 hours uh, of air. But uh, it is it is obviously deep water. I didn't. James Cameron. Apparently, there have been people that have gone down to try to explore uh, the wreckage uh, of the tight of the Titanic. So, uh, 3,800 meters below the surface. So that that I guess equates to about 13,000 feet, right? Right. Right. Uh, we, we, you know, wishing for the very best right. and hoping um, that something is successful in these rescue attempts. Yeah, that's that's deep. I, as I said, we were talking off camera. I've been on a submarine in the Cayman Islands. Yeah. I think it's 150 feet, maybe, and that was deep. And that's you know, it's you don't have to be an actual uh, to have claustrophobia to feel like you have claustrophobia. Yeah. That's all I'll tell you. And it was very, you know, I was glad to breathe in. But, and you're in like, as I described it to you, an egg carton, back to back, and there's no additional room for, for when you go down. And it looks about, I, I can tell you what it looks like, and I don't, you don't need to do it. Yeah. It's not that great, sand. Sand, a couple of fish. Our, our thoughts go out to yeah. families who are awaiting word on this, and we wish the very best in the rescue attempts for doing this.
We'll be right back. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up and Becky, Q. Good morning again, and welcome back to Squawk Box. We are right here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. He'll be back later this week. Here to discuss the state of the economy in the 2024 presidential election. Joining us now is former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who's running for president in 2024. I've known you. I'm a Jersey person. Love you. And, Thanks, and uh, Kate, I mean, I've known you a long time, and I wish you'd get some... I do. I wish you'd get some traction. I'm not saying that maybe you get the nomination, but I, I, I think you'd be... I think you'd be amazing. But at this point, you're set up like the hockey guy that, that get, can't score a goal, but he's, like, checking people, and he's the enforcer out Joe, there. Are watch, you here? Watch me score. Don't worry about it. There's time. There's plenty of time. We're sitting here in June. Remember, two things. June of 15... Donald Trump was at 2%. June of 07, Barack Obama was 38 points behind Hillary Clinton. The campaign is going to matter. And look, eight years ago when I was in this race and running against Donald Trump, there was nothing to say about him. He was the star of The Apprentice. He had built some buildings. He was a billionaire, had a beautiful wife. What were you going to say? Eight years later, there's a lot to say and a lot to differentiate. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. And nobody else in this race is willing to do it. They're afraid to do it where they're unable to do it, and Why we're going to do it. Why is that? Well, I think over time, uh, you know, Donald Trump has cowed a lot of people, Becky. And, you know, people get upset about being called names in public. I'm from New Jersey. I get called names in public all the time. It doesn't matter. I'm used to it. And I've known him for 22 years. I think the difference is most of the people in politics have only known him for eight or nine or ten years. I've known him for 22 years. I'm not afraid of him. He's a paper tiger. What, what did it take? What was it with him that you thought, forget it, I'm not going to work with you anymore, support you anymore? Because Elec- you did help him. Election night 2020. I was sitting on the set at ABC, and when he got out there and said at 2.30 in the morning, the election's been stolen, when I know that the votes weren't even all counted yet, he couldn't have had any idea that the election was stolen. I said, you can't stand as president of the United States in the East Room of the White House and say that to the American people. It undercuts their confidence in the democracy. We've seen what's happened in the two and a half years since then on that. And I sat there, I turned to George Stephanopoulos, I said, come to me right after the speech because I've got something to say. And that was really the breaking point for the two of us. And at that time, that was a relationship that had gone on for almost 20 years. But, you know, you can't do that stuff to our democracy when you've been privileged to be president of the United States. And, and now you see some of the crazy stuff he said last night on TV that I didn't respond to a grand jury subpoena because, you know, I'm very busy. Well, well how many rounds of golf has he played 
in the two and a half years since he left office. He's too busy to go through the boxes to do what? To, to, to move classified information from his golf shirts and his golf pants? That's seemingly what he was saying last night. Like, the voters of the United States are going to listen to this, Joe, and they're going to say, no, not this time. We've seen this show. We don't want to rerun. But it hasn't happened. Well, of course it hasn't happened yet. We just started. And we won't really engage until 30 August. 30-point leads start. over, like, and he called it. You see, when he says DeSantis, it just comes out to sanctimonious. I mean, he said it last night. It was like, I yeah. said, what did he say? Oh, he's talking about DeSantis. Well, of course. And look, he's into the name calling and all the rest of that. And that's fine. It, 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 was, it was new. It was different eight years ago. It is old now, Joe. And it's going to get even older. Look at those numbers, Chris. I, look, Governor. I see him. You know what? Look, I see them, and I, and I will tell you what. Uh, this election is not decided today, uh, and those numbers are national numbers. And no one's run a campaign against them yet. But People will got, start to do it. Remember when he said, I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue? Yeah. Well, that's still true. For, and I, I, I would never, ever, ever channel uh, Hillary Clinton, but there are... Is, what are those 30% that just no matter what, just are they deplorables? How does that no, work? No, what, what, what has happened is he has tapped into the, uh, anxiety and anger, a lot based off the economy, guys, that where people well, let's feel talk, like... Yeah, we, we should talk about that. They're we displaced. You've got to have your own ideas to right. do this if they're, you want to do it. What, what do we, inflation's bad. What caused the inflation, and, and what do uh, we do about it? Excessive government spending. You know what caused the inflation. It was out of control, ridiculous Around the world, spending. though, Chris. It's right. everywhere. It's not just well, here. But, but listen... If something like that happens in the United States, it spreads everywhere. We're the most dominant economy in the world still. And by the way, China was doing similar things. So when the United States and China are doing similar things, the rest of the economy is going to get sick. We've got to bring spending under control. We've got to reform our entitlement programs. We've got to drill. Yeah, I mean, right. half, of your, half, half of your platform would probably be Trump's platform, right? Well, yeah, look, except I'd be able to do it. You know, this is a guy who said he was going to build the wall on the southern border. Mexico was going to pay for it. And we have a quarter of a wall and not the first peso in the door. So He's, what do you do with immigration? And what do you do with the border? You have to do two things. First, at the, well, three things, I'd say. First, at the border, for, right away, I'd send National Guard to the border to interdict fentanyl. Uh, 110,000 overdose deaths in this country last year. It's now the leading killer in men, 18 to 34, in this country. That's job one. Um, job two is to finish building the wall. We started it. Let's just finish it and get that done. And third is to bring both parties together, like I did in New Jersey, on things like pension reform and health benefit reform and police reform, where people said none of these things can be done. We do that on immigration and say to everybody, everyone's going to have to give something on this that they don't like. But in the end, we need to do things like all these graduate students who come from all over the world to come to school here, they should stay here and work here. We need to have a merit-based system on immigration where the people who can contribute to our economy and our society get to stay here. But to get that, we're going to have to make compromises with the other side and be able to get that done. I did that in the blue state for eight years. It's a skill. You got to know how to do it and not be afraid of doing it. So those are the three things I think we need to do on immigration. You do those three things, we'll have immigration under control and our economy will grow. What would you do with the Dreamers? I did this in New Jersey. Look, in, 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 with Dreamers in New Jersey, we gave them in-state tuition rates. I'm paying as a New Jersey taxpayer to educate them K through 12. Don't we want them to be able to afford to go to college then? We've already made that investment once they've come here. Um, and so that's, but in a larger part of the Dreamers, it's all going to be part of an overall deal. Everyone's got to be able to get something out of this for it to be done, because otherwise we're going to be sitting here with the same problem 20 years from now. 
And that's not going to be good for the safety of our country. It's not going to be good for our economy. The uh, 31 trillion, 30, I don't know who's counting, uh, you know, but 32 trillion, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, we got no money. The rates are going up, so after we service our debt, we have no money for That's anything. Right. So the only thing that, that will solve any of this is probably growth. Other people would argue we need more revenue, higher taxes. Like we didn't have enough. Like right. how, how much did we, did, do we have last year to spend and still didn't have enough? Look, it's, 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 not higher, it's not higher taxes, Joe. Well, that's what you're going to hear. Of course, obviously. that's what you're going to hear. But that's what you always hear from the other side. There's two things you have to do. You have to revitalize the economy to bring more growth. And secondly, you have to reduce spending. You just have to. Where? You have it's to. debt service. Well, well, you obviously can't reduce that, Joe. But we have spent trillions on other things over the last five years. Trillions. Donald Trump said when he ran in 2016, I will balance the budget in four years. He left with the largest deficit of well, any COVID. president in modern history. COVID. Before COVID, he had that, Joe. Right. He was running huge deficits. And we need to deal with Social Security because 2034, 24% benefit cut. There are millions of people in this country. You won't talk about that if you're the nominee. You, of course I will. I'm talking about it right now. The fact is we have to look at things like means testing for yeah. the very wealthy. Don't need to get Social Security. And secondly, for people in their 30s and 40s, we need to consider you know, raising the retirement age. They'll have plenty of time to plan for that. Not for guys like me who are 60, but for people in their 30s or 40s, when you have time through your 401k and your IRA to plan for that, we need to give them the time to do that, and that will also bring um, the cost down. Who, who are your, your backers at this point financially? Because you know, we might like to think that anybody can get elected without financial backing, but you need it. No, and- you can't. And I wouldn't have gotten into the race unless I had some very significant people. I don't want to do it yet, Becky, because we're going to put out a report um, on June, you know, mid-July for our June 30th report. But I think what you're going to find are a lot of people who were with Donald Trump before are now with us. Some folks who were with other candidates in 2016, like Jeb Bush, like Marco Rubio, are now with us. And I think folks who want someone who's going to take this on directly. We were talking about this before we came on. How do you win this race? It's fantasy to believe you can win this race by not taking on Donald Trump. He's in front. How do you beat someone and not talk about them? I look at the other candidates in this race. They, they they're cheat. trying to keep the 30, well, the 30%. They're, they're never getting the 30. Joe, if, if, if you like Coke and new Coke comes out, why are you buying new Coke? You say, I like Coke. It's right over here. I've been drinking it forever. I'm going to keep drinking it. For a minute, I thought you were talking about Hunter. I didn't know where it's you were easy. going with that. We can get into that later. <laughs> but here's the thing. You, you, you have to be able to differentiate yourself. 70% of the Republican primary electorate say either I will never vote for Trump or I'm, I'm considering voting well, for someone else. Yeah. How about we focus on the 70 instead of the 30, Joe? I wish, I, you know, you had lightning in a bottle at that one point when you, I think maybe, I hope you recapture it, uh, Governor, just to give We're it, give it a go. We're going to recapture it, Joe. All right, well, Watch it. Thanks I'm for coming I'm going to recapture it right here with you and, and Becky. And you'll come back on. And, and, and Andrew's not here this morning? What a gift. This is like, <laughs> this is like my summer gift that Andrew's not here. <laughs> All right. Come back. We will. Okay. Thank you, Becky. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Up next on Squawk Pod, corporate America made many commitments to parity and racial equality in 2020. So where are they now? The slow uptick in black leadership in U.S. companies with CEO of the Executive Leadership Council, Michael Heider. It was flat for a long period of time, and now it's the uptick has happened. It's just been slower than we'd like, but you know, I will honor you know, progress when we're moving in the right direction. We'll be right back.
From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. I'm producer Katie Kramer. It's been three years since the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. The social justice movement that emerged after was unusual in corporate America, leading to a public reckoning about inequality and more intentional discussion about race in America's largest public companies. We have just marked the newest federal holiday, Juneteenth, which celebrates the full end to slavery in America. And in honor of the event, a new survey of black executives says there is still work to be done. Here's Joe Kernan. Corporate America is making uh, progress. A new survey from CNBC and the Executive Leadership Council finding that three quarters of black executives say their companies have improved black hiring since the death of George Floyd. And that's translating to the boardroom. 11.9% of board seats in the Fortune 500 companies are held by black leaders. That's close to parity, just below for the black population of the U.S. at 12.1% in 2021. Join us for more. Michael Heider, CEO of the Executive Leadership Council, and Gail King, chair of the ELC. Welcome. It's good to see you. Uh, good Thank to see you both. Thank the, you. Thank we you. were just talking about uh, uh, my friend, Chris. All right. Yes. The, the fortune, the, the actual CEO is not a, a representation in the 500 is not anywhere near 11 percent. Is it? Um, no, nope. um, no, yeah. it's not. It's right. significantly less. It's one point six percent. So that's what I where we saying. continue so to have opportunities. You got to start. The board is a good place to start. Though. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, and how have you made the progress since you, what, what do companies, I mean, I saw the, the results of some of the, uh, you know, some of the, the, the polling and what at least 55% of companies say they're trying to do this yeah. right, with the board. Yeah. Slow progress. <clears throat> well, there's been, pro- there's been progress uh, at, in terms of board representation among companies. Uh, it's been incremental and it's been slow, but it's been progressive. I mean, the black population at the board level for Fortune 500 companies, you know, 12 years ago was 7%. Um, recently, in 2022, it's 11.9 or 4. So, relatively speaking, it's more, but it's still slow in terms of opportunity. How do you do it? I mean, what, what, what's the... What's the game plan for, for increasing it? And how'd you get this far yeah. with, with board? I mean, again, it all begins with intentionality. And again, it requires, you know, all of the parties paying attention to it. And I think that there's been a significant focus on increasing it. And there's, you know, and as a result of it, we've seen the progress. So as Michael says, it's been incremental improvement. But if you think about in the last three years since the murder of George Floyd, uh, that it has been a little bit on uh, at an accelerated pace. Would you expect the the uh, the C-suite to follow if the board goes? Then does it follow that the C-suite? A- absolutely, goes? absolutely. We, yeah. we absolutely yeah. believe that the board really helps drive what happens in organizations, and that's why it's so critical to have diversity represented at the board level. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think uh, six years ago there were four black. CEOs for Fortune 500. Yeah. Um, today there are eight. Um, you know, it's again progress. 
Chris Womack, as you mentioned. Chris, yeah. He was at Georgia Power um, for years. Yeah. But, years. The, but in terms of parity, I mean, as, as uh, Gail referenced, I mean, the opportunity for growth is significant. And, you know, I, I think if 14% of the population is black, then the black CEO population at the CEO level probably should be closer to 37. But you, you remember all the money that, that was pledged? We really, we do, yes. Yeah. And how much is, has actually happened? You know, again, I think that it's spotty at best. Uh, but I think that what's missing is that we have no one who's actually measuring, you know, what actually happened to those commitments. Why? It doesn't know? seem like it would be that, that hard to do. And, and, and the money could be used for this. So I don't know. Yeah. Again, again, you know, it is our hope. I know the ELC and many of us are optimistic that those corporations who made those commitments will honor those commitments. And we know that there are many organizations who are now asking questions of those organizations to say, you know, what is happening with that, with the money, with the commitment. So again, it's been three years and what we're hoping that, um, you know, that they'll honor those commitments. Michael, the progress three years ago, is this what you would say is good progress? Progress you anticipated or is it behind? Uh, I, I would say it, you know, progress is good progress because it's forward. You know, as opposed to um, over the years, though, if we look at over a 12-year period of time, it was inc it was flat for a long period of time, and now it's, the uptick has happened. It's just been slower than we'd like. Um, but you know, I will honor you know progress when we're moving in the right direction. What what we've heard in the past is that you know companies will say, oh, we couldn't find any qualified candidates. Right. It's always code for. We, we didn't look that hard or we didn't have the proper pipelines to find. Now, if you have made progress on the board front, does that then make the pipeline process more e uh, it should. an easier situation? It should. It should. And I think uh, the issue, too, relative to there are plenty of uh, eligible candidates yeah. uh, for it. I know with the ELC of the 840 members that we have, 165 of our mem 115 of our members are on 169 board seats. Um, and that's been growing because of our corporate board initiative that we've given uh, our members an opportunity to develop the skill set to be eligible for board seats. So there are plenty of people who are available. Um, it's just a matter of just connecting that availability with, with need. So Think yeah. of a lot of other things, too, for that money. I mean, capital. Capital for, for black entrepreneurs, it's never sufficient. And we talk about it all the time. Right. Yeah. So I could use some of it for that. I mean, I think you need to. Yeah. It, it, you need you need to go back and say, hey, you said this. Let's uh, let's, let's get let's get started. We absolutely agree with you, absolutely. and I can tell you that the ELC is doing that. You know, we have some you know some wonderful corporate partners, and uh, you know we'll be partnering with them. You know, to ensure that they are honoring what they committed to, uh, and we have some powerful members. Uh, who are doing really amazing things in corporations, and so we'll partner with them. I mean, you know, we've made significant progress, and we are totally committed to the journey. Very good. All right, well, good to have you in studio. Uh, Thank you. You know, after the, the last couple of years, that, that's always much better yeah. uh, to actually speak face-to-face. Well, -face. well, we're excited to be here, especially after seeing the positive news on the number of uh, Fortune 500 black CEOs. As Michael said, tremendous right. progress. and. You know, we're looking forward to coming back to see you when we've doubled that number. Good. All right, Gail King, thank you. Michael Hyde. Thank you. Absolutely. 
That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for starting your week with us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.